Yes, sir. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. We have often said, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, it's a phrase that says, well, wherever you are, uh, conform to the ways of that particular place, that particular culture, that particular era of the country, and so on. When in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, what would you do as a new follower of Jesus Christ in an empire that was profoundly pagan? Oh, they had a lot of religion, They had a lot of religion. In fact, they had so much religion that they actually deified their emperors. That's right. They deified their emperors, offered uh, sacrifices to the emperors. They even had prayers. They had all kinds of religious activities. They even had religious prostitutes. Yes, they did. And that was the environment in which early Christians came to faith in Christ. So how were they to live? Francis Schaeffer, back in the 1970s, wrote a series of books, and he talked about our culture and how it was deteriorating, and he said, ask the question, seeing then that all these things were taking place, how should you and I then live? Well, that was the question that the early church had to deal with. How should we then live in the midst of Roman, pagan, Roman culture? This was the greatest empire on the face of the earth ever. It was the empire that came, was in existence when Jesus was born. In fact, taxes were paid by Jesus' surrogate father, Joseph. He had to go to Bethlehem to pay the taxes. Things were pretty similar to what they are today in perhaps pagan America. We don't normally think of it that way, but in very... In a very real sense, we have become very much like pagan Rome. We have. In fact, we are part of the resurrecting Roman Empire. That's right. The resurrecting Roman Empire, the whole Western world, was formerly part of Rome. And we're just an extension of it. So how should Christians live then today? If we were to question how Christians should live in ancient pagan Rome, maybe we should also question how Christians should live in pagan Western resurrected Rome. Just a thought. Well, today we're going to take a look at what it was like back there in ancient Rome as Christians came into the fore, beginning not in a Roman place, but in Jerusalem. And to help us with our conversation here today, I've invited again Michael Austin to join us on behalf of the Christian History Magazine and Institute. Uh, About once every quarter or so, uh, Michael joins us and has for many, many years to talk about uh, the latest issue coming from uh, the Christian History Institute and so on. And uh, Michael, it's good to have you on the program. 
Thank you so much, Chuck. Great to be with you again. And a brilliant introduction to the subject. I agree wholeheartedly that we are living in the modern Rome today. Well, indeed, uh, and it's hard for us to recognize that. We don't want to believe that. We don't want to recognize that. But it was a little easier for the Christians back then to realize because all the early Christians were Jews, weren't they? And they were no friend of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was no friend of the Jewish people, was it? That's, uh, you are quite right. And, uh, you know, this in, in issue is uh, remarkable in that it takes you, it takes the reader from the, the very earliest through this uh, uh, period of 300 years up to 400, mm-hmm. uh, the change, probably a, a, a period of time of the most radical change the world has ever seen. Well, indeed, uh, you know, it was said, these are they who turned the world upside down, and it was said concerning uh, the growth of the Christian faith uh, that had moved from an exclusively Jewish experience uh, to into the Gentile world, as led uh, in many respects by the Apostle Paul. And so uh, it grew, and it grew, and it grew. We're going to take a look at why it grew in the Roman Empire. How could it possibly grow in an empire that uh, was pagan to the core and uh, worshipped its own emperors? But it did, and uh, there were real reasons for that. But one of the things I think that uh, we often miss is how deeply Jewish the original believers were. They were all Jews. Jesus was a Jew. John the Baptist was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. And indeed, all of the early Christians, the first Christians were all Jews, weren't they? That's right. And if you really want to capture the essence of that, that I think our our Creator uh, intended and has preserved to this day, is Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, in which uh, Paul uh, explains to us that uh, we are grafted in to the root of uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish experience, the Jewish law, all of it. And, um, it, you know, I don't know how people can understand um, the words of Jesus, uh, who kept reminding us in the New Testament uh, to keep the commandments. <laughs> and the early days, uh, the Jews, uh, as you say, the predominant, uh, I would say at least 95%, um, keeping Torah, mm-hmm. uh, keeping the tra- keeping uh, the meeting in the synagogue, although, you know, the synagogue, the synagogue was so corrupted uh, by that time, by the time of our Savior, that he had to take to task <laughs> the uh, of the day of, <laughs> of the established churches of the day. Yes, he sure did. Yeah, in Matthew yeah. 23, it's, it's brutal, uh, but uh, bears, bears our attention. Well, so what we're looking at here is a church that was fundamentally exclusively Jewish, not just partly Jewish, totally Jewish. So what was the difference between the followers of the way or the followers of Yeshua, Jesus, and the Jewish 
uh, shall we say, general population? Well, you know, this we need to be reminded that uh, uh, after this change in the world, probably the most significant event, and I think it, it remains one of the most significant events in all of history, is the exodus out of Egypt. And uh, the, the reality is that there were many non-Jews who traveled with uh, his, his people out of Egypt mm-hmm. with them right. and continued, and actually their descendants also came into the Promised Land. They were called and the strangers, the strangers among them. That's right. Yeah. The sojourners, the strangers. Sojourners. Um, All right. Well, we're going to pick up on that. I think that's a very important thing to remember, Michael. Pick up on that after the break. All right. Friends, we're talking with Michael Austin concerning the early church. What was it like? Maybe we need to understand more about that in order to prepare for the second coming. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Here's an interesting thought. What if Jesus at his first coming was exclusively designed and intended to prepare us for his second coming? Well, indeed, that's true. It was. So if he came in the heart of ancient Rome among a Jewish people at his first coming, then what would we expect to happen at his second coming? The same thing, friend. Exactly the same thing. But the problems continue. Exactly the same problems that existed at the time of Jesus' first coming exist today. Exist today among the Jewish people. Because he came unto his own and his own received him not. Exist today among the grown or uh, resurrected Roman Empire. Paganism the rejection of truth. All of those things, you see, existed when Jesus came the first time. So this is the environment in which the early church, which was exclusively Jewish, developed. Now, our guest, uh, Michael uh, Austin, was uh, beginning to share with us how when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it wasn't just the children of Israel or the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants that came out, but it also incurred, in, uh, included strangers and sojourners. Why is that important, Michael? Well, for a number of reasons, but it's interesting because as you were um, uh, speaking, uh, what came to mind was that the the chosen people, his chosen people, second, third, fourth generation um, uh, out of Israel, having come to Egypt, uh, having been made slaves, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, having been led there by a picture of Christ in Joseph, right, um, the favorite son of uh, uh, of Jesse, um, that uh, th- those folks had forgotten. You met of Jacob, right? Mm-hmm. Pardon me. You didn't mean of Jesse. You meant of Jacob, right? Well, uh, uh, David's father. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. So um, now those those folks had forgotten, uh, and they were uh, made into slaves. And I, I just have to be, you know, sometimes it's it's such a joy to uh, read about this over and over again. The the um, escape, the, the deliverance, the salvation that uh, our our father. Uh, gave to his people in getting them out of Egypt, um, he, he did so uh, alongside. Uh, they, they came along with these sojourners and, and others that I have to believe that they were even more convinced <laughs> in the beginning because, after all, you read the, you read the uh, story uh, in, in Exodus, and uh, there is... His, his own people are just full of complaints. One complaint after another, how they would just, you know, desire, just yearning to get back to Egypt, uh, to get those free lunches. And, In other uh, words, they kind of liked Rome. <laughs> you know what? This is what? This is what happens to slaves. And this is what's happening today. Exactly. That is exactly what's happened. The Christians today kind of like Egypt. They kind of like Rome. They kind of like the happening place. I'll never forget my experience. First time going into a supermarket and seeing everybody with masks. And it it suddenly struck me. um, These people love this. They, they they love this. They love doing this. And, and I was a rebel from the very beginning. Didn't want to wear a mask. Uh, never was comfortable wearing a mask. But in, in any event, I digress here. Um, but yes, uh, the um, there were always those uh, among the chosen people, and and so uh, this is a pattern. You know, the Jews study the Bible to see the pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I think is, is just wonderful that we need to be mindful of, uh, as opposed to picking a verse here and there and spiritualizing it and making up so, all, all kinds of fantasies about it that don't exist because, it's, you know, we're taking it out of context. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pattern is that um, our, our Creator intended for his instruction, which he gave to us because he loves us, and he wants us to have a wonderful, blessed life and and a life of abundance, um, gave those commandments to, uh, through Moses, uh, actually directly, not through Moses at all, directly, his own voice. Yes, he did. He shared, he and with his voice. own finger. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Thank you. And uh, people were scared to death. That's, I think that's where we get that phrase. They were scared to death. Moses said to them, do not fear. Uh, the Lord has come to prove you. He wants to know, are you his? <laughs> mm. Well, um, he's asking the same question today. He's asking the yeah. same question today, and it has to do with a remnant that will truly display 
as the early church coming out of Rome that will truly display his glory, the fear of the Lord, and so on to prepare the way for the second coming of Yeshua or Jesus Christ. So when we look at the original church in the first three centuries, we're finding it to be totally Jewish, except, well, at least in the first century, uh, totally Jewish. And then the persecution arose so dramatically in Jerusalem that it caused the Jewish followers of the way, that is, followers of Yeshua, to flee into other parts of the Roman Empire, didn't it? That's right. And here's another pattern. Um, come persecution, comes growth in, the, in his church, and uh, comes more people turning to our Savior. That's, that's what happens over and over and over again. It's happening today. True followers, though. True followers. Not, yes. not just yes. the, yes. Uh, the traditional uh, Roman pagans that uh, want to uh, sort of sidle up to some Christians to be blessed, but uh, yes. the true followers. That's right. That's what happens. And um, now that you mentioned that, let's, let's turn back here to these stuff. Uh, you know, let's say uh, in, the, in the 200s in Rome, uh, these Caesars are starting to refer to themselves as gods, mm-hmm. uh, claiming uh, Julius Caesar uh, claimed that his, uh, uh, his mother was a descendant of, of uh, Venus. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, what, 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 uh, what is the scene, and why is it that um, this, this whole, this magnificent uh, revelation of, of, of Jesus comes out of the East, and suddenly, over a couple of hundred years, uh, you know, right up to Constantine, uh, how, is, how does it work that Constantine legalizes Christianity, and it suddenly, within a generation or two, is the predominant population of the Roman Empire, not just Rome, yeah. but the empire itself. Well, here's something that can explain that. The Romans, as you introduced this, this uh, segment, or the first segment, the Romans were thoroughly religious in, in the true sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they had a religion. They didn't have a faith or a, uh, a, a, a belief. And this is very interesting, because it, uh, one of the articles in the, in the magazine points out that the Rome did not have a personal relationship with any of these gods. These gods are ideas and principles, and they, they prayed to them um, daily. Uh, uh, practically everything they did in the course of a day, they were praying to one uh, head of... Uh, uh, one aspect of life after the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the god of wine and, and uh, merriment, uh, the god of uh, sex and, uh, and love, uh, so, and, and the god of war. That was their main deity, was the god of war. And so going into war, they would actually take an animal, sacrifice an animal, and read the entrails as to what was going to come be the outcome of this war. Well, then the, here are these Christians, and, and they baffle the Romans because they, they don't understand that these Christians have actually a personal relationship with their God, which they do not have. They have no concept of that. In fact, 
I think very little concept uh, is, you know, the, the personal relationship one-on-one between people was not what we know as, as today. The, the whole emotional makeup of these people was was extremely practical and utilitarian. Mm-hmm. But but they had all of these prayer times. So, um, and, and sadly what happened was, and we, you know, this might be a topic for another uh, show, um, it, it fell to the Church, what became the Roman Catholic Church, to, uh, to dominate the world uh, by way of being the principal power in Rome, along with the, uh, you know, continuing lines of the Caesars, but the, all, of the, all of which comes together in a magnificent, uh, interesting way, uh, in another issue of the magazine, which is on the on the man Charlemagne, mm-hmm. Charlemagne and Pope Leo, yeah. the, the, the the deal that the two of them made um, but, for the, for the lordship uh, of the papacy, uh-huh. of papacy and mammon, and our mm-hmm. savior, of course, was was his words remain true from the beginning to the end, all true of this that you cannot serve both. Well, that created a real problem for the early followers of Christ, uh, Yeshua, there in Rome, because Rome was all about uh, uh, displays of magnificence, all about displays of power, perks, and position, and uh, it was a very hierarchical kind of structure. Uh, and the most of the early Christians... Uh, were not of that ilk. In fact, uh, they were mocked by the Romans as being, uh, well, they're of the lower class, they're women, they're slaves, they're this, that, or the other. Not that there weren't any that had wealth, but they, they weren't the super wealthy. They did not fit the, uh, shall we say, the Americanized version of Christianity. Absolutely. Uh, Notice that, the that, leap that I just took. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to amplify that just a little bit. The um, uh, the pattern of the Roman, the Roman pattern that we see today, is the corporation. You have the CEO at the top. Mm-hmm. You have all these other other titles and offices under him, and then um, uh, also the military. Uh, is is based on that type of relationship. Now, what do you do with people that have deep personal relationships with one another and love one another and practice charity? Um, it, it, the two just don't mix. But what happened was that um, more and more of the uh, the people who were stressed, uh, these are wonderful people that... Uh, uh, Jesus spoke to and ministered to the poor, um, the, uh, the the folks on the uh, you know leading leading up to what we would call middle class today. Mm-hmm. Those were the people our Savior talked to. He said, "He said, you know, uh, those who are well don't need a, a physician. Uh, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. He he came for lost people. He came for poor people." He came for simple people. Um, in other words, he didn't ha- he didn't come to people that had it made in the shade, but uh, people who 
were going to be in need. They would recognize that they had a need and uh, they would would follow. And the unfortunate thing is that in Rome, that was not their uh, their culture. That was not the way they saw things. But what they did see is, as the phrase came out from the experience of Rome with the Christians, behold, how they love one another. Behold, how they love one another. And then yeah. they began to see that not only did they love one another, but these followers of Yeshua, of the way, actually express their love of God and their love for one another in their love of others. And so they were willing to treat people, uh, bring healing and health and treatment to people who were otherwise in the Roman culture deemed to be worthless and outcasts. That, over a period of two or three centuries, just gripped the mind and heart of the Roman people until they finally came to the place where even Constantine said, you know what, we've got to re- we've got to go to the direction of the people of the way. We'll be right back after this, friends. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. It's possible that you've never heard of the Christian History Institute. If you hadn't been listening to this program for long, that would probably be the case. You had never heard of the Christian History Institute. Well, the Christian History Institute, for many, 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 many years, has produced a quarterly magazine called Christian History. It is a wonderful publication. I have received it now for, uh, I don't know, Michael, I probably have, I'm, I'm looking at the back of so many of the issues. I probably have 30 or 40 of these issues. And uh, each one of them is very valuable, and that's why I keep them. Uh, and yeah. this latest one is dealing with everyday life in the early church, trying to help us to get a grip and understand what things were really like there, uh, which in many respects, were very different than what we understand today as the life of the church. So what I'd like to do uh, is spend the rest of our time looking at those differences, and uh, because those differences oftentimes are very instructive to us if we dare to look at them. So we're going to dare to look at them here in the balance of the program today, but tell us a little bit more about Christian History Magazine. The magazine? Yes. Well, it was it was started in eighty two by 
a fellow by the name of Ken Curtis, who is a producer of The Cross and the Switchblade, the very famous movie of David Wilkerson in New York City, mm-hmm. um, Pat Boone. And, and um, Ken knew, uh, being a film documentarian in one of his early uh, 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 biographies, was of uh, Jan Hus, the great um, uh, pre-Reformation uh, reformer who was burned at the stake uh, for uh, suggesting that we might uh, own personally uh, a Bible and read it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the Church of the Establishment Church of the Day burned him for that. But um, this magazine has been... Um, uh, I, I think it's just a, it's a national treasure. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. It is. And, uh, yeah, it's a quarterly. Each issue takes up just one subject at a time, so you get a wonderful treatment of whatever that subject is. And um, uh, there's all other other wonderful things of supportive materials that they are producing. And I'm reminded of one of the Torchlighter episodes, which are, uh, 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 I guess there are up to about 35 Editions now, uh, different, uh, they're biographies of what they call the heroes of the faith. And one of those heroes is Perpetua, whose uh, life and death in the arena in Rome mm-hmm. um, is taken up in this issue. She was a, um, she was actually uh, a, a daughter of, of a noble um, who uh, the Lord got a hold of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was uh, sent to the uh, gladiators uh, in the in the Colosseum, um, and was a an, an you know an inspiring uh, witness to these remarkable people called Christians who actually uh, considered it a privilege and an honor to be martyred because they uh, understood that we Christians are the only people on earth who have the privilege of sharing the suffering of our God. And that's, that's something that is uh, incomparable. It is um, uh, unique. And like I say, uh, we're the only people that have that uh, amazing, amazing privilege, and it's well worth studying that subject out in, in your Bible uh, well, interestingly, though, interesting, though, Michael, that is not uh, something that uh, certainly most American Christians would aspire to. Exactly. <laughs> Martyrdom. <Exactly. laughs> and uh, it's, it's not that we should be out there crusading uh, to become martyrs. But uh, Jesus said, uh, if, if, you, if you love your life too much, uh, you're not qualified to be my disciple. And uh, so that's that's the real issue, is is what is life about? And of course, this issue of Christian Magazine, Christian History Magazine, is about what life was about there in the early church and how to kind of uh, better understand it. And I think it has import for you and for me. So, how do people get a copy of this magazine? Well, um, you cannot purchase one; uh, it's only available by donation. And by the way, the, the folks that support the ministry want folks to know that if there's a financial issue, uh, just ignore those opportunities to make a donation and go ahead and subscribe, and a year's subscription will be sent to you at no, no cost. 
But whatever the donation is, um, I think it's well, well worth it to uh, hold this magazine in your hand. Really? And spend time, yeah, spend time reading it. All right, so how do they get the, how do they make this contact? How do they get it? Yeah, right on the, well, it's uh, christianhistorymagazine.org.org. Very easy to find. The same, um, uh, you'll find, you'll, you'll go to the same site. Uh, ChristianHistoryInstitute.org. So either one takes you to the same place. Mm-hmm. I always use Christian History Magazine because people will remember that we're talking about exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And you can read you can read the issue right on the uh, on site. Uh, no cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all of these issues are archived, and you can turn the pages and enjoy enjoy every page of them. Okay. Now let's let's take a look now at uh, what differentiating factors that were uh, between the early Christians, which, by the way, were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Uh, They were Jewish followers of the way. Uh, Some people have referred to them as completed Jews. In other words, they had embraced the fullness of the coming Messiah, received Yeshua as Messiah, and uh, therefore their Judaism or their Jewishness was completed uh, with uh, the Messiah. Uh, so they were not called Christians until Antioch. And at that point, uh, the word Christian was sort of like, um, it wasn't intended to no. be a, a blessed term, was it? No, it was a derogatory term. Yeah, it was a mockery. Uh, yes, exactly. It was a, a mockery. Um, but the amazing thing was, and I, I didn't mean earlier by my remark to, to say that uh, the Savior uh, didn't come for everyone. He did. However, those, as you pointed out so eloquently, uh, the, the ones that uh, were able to recognize him and accept him and receive him and love him um, without, uh, uh, w- without you know, hesitation were those who, who were in need. And he, uh, he, he meets our need, whatever it is. And by the way, today, uh, by, by saying, I, I also don't mean that the only way that we can share in the suffering of Christ is martyrdom. Uh, we should be doing that on a daily basis, because he told us, um, he promised us that the world would hate us because we seek uh, and love truth. Um, Sadly, the uh, the pagan it does everything uh, possible to um, to deflect uh, and to obfuscate and to bury the truth, um, and that that is uh, of, of course the enemy's main objective. Well, that's that. what's happening right here in America today. We are examples of the ancient Roman Empire uh, resurrected. We have abandoned our the fear of the Lord. We've abandoned the love of truth in large measure, and uh, we're like Pontius Pilate, who when uh, Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, he mockingly responded, what is truth? Well, that's exactly what's happening in America today, in a resurrected uh, part of the Roman Empire. And so we're on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So... We're looking at a span of 2,000 years. Uh, 
that's the period ultimately that we're looking at. But we're going back and looking at the very beginning as to how this took place. And the interesting thing is that the early Christians did not worship in basilicas. They did not worship in theaters. They did not worship in uh, grand uh, coliseums or anything like that. Where did they worship? At home. They worshiped um, in the house. Yes. Do you know that today, today in America, if you say that you have a house church, you're mocked for it? Well, that's you know, not that's legitimate, they say. Yeah, but, you know, prior to this, you know, what, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it was totally unheard of. Now it's heard of and it's growing. Uh, believe you me, it is growing. I'm running into people all the time who have a home church. And by the way, I want to say this before we close here, um, because I was reminded of this article uh, titled, What God Has Joined Together in This Issue, and it's all about marriage, family, divorce, and adultery. That's the next thing we're going to get to. That's the next thing we're going to get to, because it's so big. It's so big. I was thrilled to to hear in in the... uh, um, uh, in, in the break, uh, news of your uh, your latest uh, ministry in that direction, because this is one of the biggest things that uh, hit the um, uh, the ancient Romans, and and one of the reasons that so many of them came to um, our Savior, and that is uh, as as a matter of fact, as pointed out in this article, uh, mostly uh, high high percentage of women uh, came to uh, see uh, and understand the message of Christ. And they did that in, in various ways, uh, one of which was that they uh, recognized that he had lifted women up in his ministry. They were so important. The first, per- the first person that uh, saw him after his resurrection was a woman. Um, the sisters of Lazarus, uh, obviously uh, women, so women everywhere that he uh, raised up and acknowledged and um, changed the, their status forever. Which was very um, different than the uh, ancient Roman Empire. We'll be back after this, friends. What has God joined together? Would that have anything to do with the early church and maybe... Our preparation for the second coming. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
So much to talk about here today with our friend Michael Austin concerning Christian History Magazine, the latest issue, issue number 147, that's talking about uh, the early church, what it was like. And uh, one of the things that was so unusual about the early church as compared with the Roman Empire, and even as compared with uh, the traditional Jewish practices. Jesus had spoken very profoundly, as had the Apostle Paul, concerning the matter of marriage. And I want to share with you, in order because we have so little time left, I want to share with you some highlights from this latest issue so that we can understand why we might be in deep trouble today from God's perspective as compared with the early church. Are we really prepared for the second coming of Christ when Jesus said, when Paul told us that he's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing? What would that look like? What would that look like? Well, there's a section called What God Has Joined Together in this latest issue. And here are some highlights. A pagan convert to Christianity in its first centuries would have found his or her life changed in significant ways. But the factor that would have had the most dramatic impact was Christianity's stricter standards of sexual morality within marriage. Neither separation nor divorce could sever a couple's unity. Only the death of one of the spouses could end the marriage and allow for remarriage. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. Neither separation nor divorce could sever a couple's unity, according to the scriptures and according to the conviction in the early church. Only the death of one of the spouses could end the marriage and allow for remarriage. Christian marriage contains a sacrament. Augustine would say in the sense that it symbolizes something beyond itself. Something about the union of Christ and his church. This good of marriage is threefold. Fidelity, offspring, and sacrament. Fidelity means that there is no sexual relations with another person outside of the marriage bond. Offspring means that the children are to be received with love, educated in the faith, and sacrament means that the marriage bond is not to be broken and that the divorced man or divorced woman may not be joined to another, even for the sake of producing children. Wives are told to submit. Husbands are told to love. Children are told to obey, and fathers are told not to provoke. All three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, preserve sayings of Jesus regarding the impermissibility of divorce. Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses wrote concerning these things. But most early Christians took adultery very seriously as a moral failure. According to Hermas, if a Christian discovered his wife in adultery, he had to separate from her as long as she refused to repent. But the man was not allowed to marry another woman after the divorce, or else he would be guilty of adultery also. He had to remain unmarried and be prepared to take back his wife, if she repented. Hermas applied this ruling to the wife as well as to the husband. By the way, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In the New Testament expressly forbade both men and women to divorce and remarry. 
Paul repeated as a command of the Lord that the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does separate, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. By the late 4th century, Western Christians such as Ambrose and Augustine applied the same principle to remarriage after divorce, even after divorce for a so-called legitimate reason, remarriage was forbidden. Wow. Sounds like we've completely turned the tables on early Christian convictions based upon the scriptures more closely related to the time of Christ and the apostles than we are today. What do you say of that? What do you make of that, Michael? Michael, are we still with you? So sorry, John, you. Um, it's so sad. It's a tragedy. Um, and it's, and it's uh, appalling to think that the divorce rate um, within the uh, Christian community actually has now become higher even than that in the secular um, community. And so uh, this is, um, uh, the answer to your question is, uh, yes, this is a huge separation it's um so we are be, we have become more pagan roman than christian uh one would have to uh, come to that conclusion i'm i'm afraid um it's um uh, uh, it, it just uh, brings tears to my eyes um uh, i was actually in a uh, a men's study this morning uh discussing this very subject mm. and uh, it was, uh, I mean, pe- people in that, men, men were literally in, in tears um, over their broken families, um, the effect on the children. We have turned our families over to something called the family court, which actually in, in this uh, country is, a, I, I believe, an illegal court. It was um, invented by uh, lawyers, judges, and psychologists, mm-hmm. all of whom benefit, uh, uh, an enormous financial benefit and a, an enormous uh, financial loss to this nation in the billions. Um, and what we've done is we've voluntarily turned our families over to the state. Now, there's another subject in, in, in this issue that I think is well worth uh, mentioning and following and, 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 and weeding out, and that is the state as God. Mm-hmm. That was something the Romans understood thoroughly and practiced. That's true. That's true. And, th- and that made the Christians seem like uh, complete rebels uh, because their ultimate authority was to God, not to Caesar. And uh, so today we have shifted, turned all of uh, Christian history on its head and have begun to again, bow to Caesar rather than God. Yes. Here's an interesting factoid that I think makes history so interesting. Um, even the Romans, uh, when they, when they, even Nero, who wanted to persecute the Christians, had to go to a, a Roman court to convince the court, court that, it was, that he was able to do that. And uh, the, uh, the claim that he brought to the court 
was that these Christians are not religious. They don't believe in God. <laughs> the judge bought it. <laughs> the judge bought it because uh, Nero said, look, um, and, you know, when asked to prove his point, he said, well, look, look at our temples. They're not in the temple. They're not bringing their sacrifices to this God and that God and this God and that God. Therefore, they don't believe in God. And uh, won this case and uh, went went on to uh, horrible persecution. But what an ironic uh, factoid to come out of history that uh, that should um, <laughs> pique our interest, if nothing else. True. It's just fascinating. And by the way, this change, this, this is something only our Heavenly Father could, could have orchestrated. Um, the fact that the Christians became the dominant population of the Roman Empire is is just unthinkable. Uh, how that how that could possibly happen? Because as you, I think you've used the term, uh, the phrase that it turned it turned the world on its ear. Yeah. All right. So, interestingly, though, as the church grew, perversion, distortion. Uh, heresy, all kinds of things began to worm their way into the simplicity of Christ following his way, and it took on the aura more of a corporate structure, and so a corporate leader then became, shall we say, almost like a surrogate god uh, much like the worshiping of Caesar, but now the church adopted its own Caesars called popes. Yes, and I think they actually called him the Vicar of Christ, which um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Roman Caesar was considered the Vicar of God. So Isn't this interesting? Yes. <laughs> well, history has repeated itself, and uh, if we're on the near edge of the second coming, which an increasing number of people believe, uh, it tells us maybe we should listen up. Maybe we should be more attentive to who we really are and have we become. Uh, maybe we need to look back and uh, say, you know, how have we come this way? How could we have come this far and uh, perverted and twisted and uh, undermined uh, the very truth of the simplicity of Christian life and living? And I think that's uh, the heart of what I get uh, from this particular issue. It talks about hospitality. It talks about our uh, meals together. Uh, and uh, one of the things... Uh, you've already spoken to this, how that women uh, were given far more respect uh, by Christians in the early church. Uh, that's one of the benefits uh, that, that came from the reconfiguration of the, of, the, uh, of the gospel so that husbands were to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives were to submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord, each of them were to submit themselves to each other in the fear of God. And what I find interesting, and I highlighted this in the magazine, that the husband was not just to call his wife by her simple name, but with terms of endearment, honor, yeah. and love. 
and they were to honor and respect one another. And that if she felt that from her husband, she would not have any need to seek that kind of honor or affirmation outside. And the husband's responsibility was to teach the fear of the Lord in the household, and that if he did that and lived that out, that the blessings of God would flow in to and through that household and that marriage. It's a, it's a picture, I think, of what God originally intended. And, uh, it seems that we've distorted it. We've perverted it. And it's not leading to a, a good image of the Christian in our country. I wonder, Michael, just, just an interesting question. Would Christians today truly, because of our lies, be able to affect our increasingly paganized culture like the Christians did in the uh, days of early Rome? Well, that's our mission. That's what he, that's his desire. It's called the Great Commission. And um, we need to revive that. We need a revival. Isn't it wonderful uh, to think that uh, as, as we do approach the day that is coming, that both we and the Jews are looking for his return. Uh, in our case... We're at least looking for a Messiah. Looking for a Messiah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the Messiah. In our case, it's the second coming. In their case, it's the first. But it's the same individual. <laughs> and I, I think that's a... Uh, uh, it's the same person. Uh, you see, uh, and that what a wonderful description that you gave us of, of marriage and the, and the meaning of it. it all, all of these things, all of these aspects of life, uh, we can understand if we understand the truth of the Bible. True. And well, that's, the, what the, uh, that's what the magazine is all about, Christian history, uh, and this particular issue, Everyday Life in the Early Church. And uh, again, how can people get that magazine, Michael? ChristianHistoryMagazine.org um, on the internet, and uh, you'll you'll see the magazine pop up right on that home page. Um, and I just want to say, over the years, uh, Chuck, you and I have talked about all of these amazing institutions that we know of uh, that make up modern life, such as education, uh, business, charity, yep. law. Um, hospitals. Uh, we've we've discussed them all. Absolutely. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation.